You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Once again, welcome back to another Thursday episode of Clapback Culture. I'm your girl, Jules Jesse, and I'm so glad to be here with you this evening. Y'all, we are almost to Friday. We made it. Okay. Just when we wake up, boom, it's the end of the week. And I don't know about y'all, but I cannot wait to get into this three-day holiday weekend. So what's up, party people? What y'all got planned for the weekend? Let me know what you guys are doing for Labor Day weekend. The kids is back in school, y'all. Let me know, okay? Are you guys, you know, uh, you know, last cookout? What y'all, what y'all got going on? I know me and Roddy, we're doing our last cookout of the summer, okay? Before the weather changes over, you guys. Um, you know, last little lazy summer day before we get back into the full swing of fall. But fall is my favorite season, you guys. So I am actually looking very much forward to it. Looking forward to some cooler weather. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But really glad to have you here. And I have a really good show for you today. So look, of course, I wanted to start our show off with some Black Girl Magic, honey. Couldn't wait to give it to you. Um, but there is a Texas newscast, you guys, that is making history for having the first all-woman Black anchors. Okay, this is a big deal. Now, here's the thing. They've been making history since May 2nd of this year, you guys. So we're a little bit late on this, but it's making viral noise. We have a clip. Let's watch the girls in action. We'll come back and talk about it. Now to our series, Flipping the Script, featuring people on screen, on stage, and behind the scenes working to shine a spotlight on diversity. Enter the ladies of Texas today, Jasmine Caldwell, Tahitia Moyes, and Ashley Carter. They made history this year by becoming the first all-woman, all-black news team in America. The trio hosts a popular morning newscast at our NBC affiliate KCEN in the Waco area. And they told me, well, they didn't see many people who looked like them on the news when they were growing up, they hope their success will inspire the next generation of young journalists. There are a lot of news shows out there right now. What do viewers who tune into your show get? I think they get news with a side of sass. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, if we all just sat up here and bathed? I would have some... to say something. We're going to use deodorant. We'll tell you what you need to know. First up, breaking news from Temple, where all lanes of West Adams are shut down. And then we'll tell you the tea on some things that we know. When I do get snow cones, I always have to make sure I get, like, light colors, like yeah. clear. Because if I get blue or red, stains the mouth. Stains the mouth. Three different personalities. But we mesh so well together. And, you know, once we are off the desk, we still are friends and it comes across on the desk. What am I chewing? <laughs> There's like a uh, white chocolate. Oh, okay. I'm like, chips in there. That's like, what it tastes like, I think. Like, I chewed something. Is that supposed to be in here? <laughs> Wait a second. Let me inspect like, this a little further. I love this for them. Really, this is giving queen. This is giving black girl magic. This is giving all the vibes. 
um, out there in Waco, Texas. Go ahead, girls. Um, we love to see it. And really, that's that's all the story is. It's just that this is the first in its in in history, the first in the United States of America to have an all black female cast um, newscast. So shout out to the journalism girls out there. Okay. You guys are queening. We love it. We love to see it. And we want to see more of it. We love this inclusivity. Um, we love to see this kind of representation on the screen. Do you guys like this? I mean, and they're giving, okay? They got all the looks, all the bright colors, okay? They're giving hair. They're giving vibes. Um, and they're sprinkling in some tea into the morning, you know, into their morning show. So I love it for them. And shout out to Texas for making this happen, okay? One thing good coming out of Texas, baby. Um, I don't know about y'all, but this week was the first day of students going back to school here in the District of Columbia if you were um, in D.C. public schools. Well, on top of that, you know, we're in the DMV, you guys, so we are right next to Maryland and Virginia, and there is a high school in Maryland, you guys, Suitland High School, where two students were arrested and accused of bringing loaded guns to class on Monday. You guys, I couldn't believe this. The first day of school, you guys, right, you know, next door to DC in PG County, Maryland, um, deputies came to the school where they were actually attempting to make an arrest on a 16-year-old uh, teen student who had a warrant out for his arrest due to carjacking. Okay, so the resource officer and the sheriff's deputy entered the school, apprehended the student, and on his waistband, he had a loaded handgun. Not but two hours later, okay, around two o'clock in the afternoon, did they get a phone call, you guys, um, from a parent that notified the school that an 18-year-old student, um, who we won't name, um, may have brought a gun to school, you guys. So, that, you know, this parent notified the officials and they went to go see, they pulled the student in the hallway and they located the gun in his backpack. All in, on the first day of school, you guys, like it's given, what in the what, what? Why are you guys going to school with loaded guns? It's too much. Um, I mean, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this. One, I don't even know how they got the guns into the schools because here they have, you know, strict uh, security measures that, um, you know, you go through the metal detectors. I'm not sure if that's happening at Suitland, um, Suitland High School, but I would argue that that is happening. Um, but apparently there are ways around that. And so we really need to figure out, um, you know, how to really keep our students safe while they're at school. You know, if kids are bringing two loaded handguns on the first day of school, Listen, I don't know about y'all, but I would have been snatching my child up out of there, okay? No questions asked, for real, for real, for real. Um, so listen, y'all, check your kids back before you send them off to school because that's not what it's hitting for. <sighs> Speaking of guns and gun violence, um, I brought you guys this clip, you guys, because I thought this was crazy. There is, this is a conversation on Stand Your Ground. Well, there's an Ohio man who was fatally shot, um, or an Ohio, an Ohio man fatally shoots, excuse me, his daughter's ex after he attempts to break in their home. 
I don't know if you guys saw this video. Um, before we play it, full disclaimer, um, you know, this may, you know, offend, offend some viewers and it's, it is absolutely disturbing. Um, but I want to know your thoughts on this. Okay. Let's watch the video. We'll come back and we'll talk about it. Tonight, new videos showing the deadly encounter on the porch of an Ohio family home. Mitchell Ducrow of Sydney shot and killed 22-year-old James Rail last month after it appears Rail tried to break into the house where his ex-girlfriend Allison lives. Get off the porch. In video captured by a home security system and provided to NBC News by local police, you can see Rail first ringing the doorbell multiple times. Hey, he's coming back. The family saying they asked him to leave, and then. I'm trying the door. Dad. No, don't answer the dad. Get off the porch. Dad, no. Oh my God, can you please hurry? Rail is shot three times. We've paused the video to obscure this graphic moment. He stumbles backwards and falls to the ground. Two minutes later, a bystander walks up to Rail's lifeless body. Okay, well, he's not moving. He'll have a gun. Did you shoot him? Yes! Oh. Okay. Call the... Call the... Uh, we know. We've already, we're on the phone with him right now. Rail was pronounced dead at the scene. He broke through the door and my dad shot at him. Audio from the 911 call confirms Allison Ducrow phoned police while Rail was on the porch when she says he tried breaking into the family home. The pair previously dated but broke it off some time ago. The circumstances of their split, not clear. The family interviewed by police. Once I realized he was getting in and the door was open is when I shot. Rail's sister, Jessica Colbert, says her brother went to the house to, quote, look out for Allison. He's there for a friend. Colbert, emotional at the loss of her baby brother. I fell to my knees. Because it couldn't be true. He's not supposed to die before me. Last year, a new stand-your-ground law went into effect in Ohio, expanding rights for individuals using deadly force in situations of self-defense. Prosecutors in this case deciding not to move forward with any charges against Mitchell Ducrow. I think not only should Mr. Ducrow be held accountable, but so should the other people involved that did not do a full investigation. But on that day, one month ago... All right, you guys, I know I gave you a very long clip, but I wanted to play it all the way out so you guys can get the full breadth of what's going on. So what are your thoughts here, you guys? I mean, let, let's get some clarification. The suspect, I, you know, i.e. the daughter's ex-boyfriend, he's 22 years young. God, he's so young. Um, but as you can see, he is attempting to break into the house. Um, they did give him some warning and tell him to back up, go away, leave, get off my porch. And he attempted to uh, push the door in, you guys. I mean, you guys saw it. And the dad said, uh-uh, honey, not today. And shot him three times where he subsequently died from his injuries there on the scene. This is stand your ground in a real way. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Rodney about this. And 
you know, you look at this and you think, dang, was there something else that could have been done? But at the same time, you know, uh, lawmakers are saying, listen, the law is the law. And, you know, he, he's not going to be charged because the law is the law. And so even though he may, he could have made another decision, right? Tanya, he could have shot him in the leg or the arm. They, but, you know, he has a stand your ground law, which establishes that homeowners can legally use lethal force when threatened. And based on the facts, you guys, I understand why lawmakers are standing behind that. Um, do I think it's okay? No. And a part of the video that you didn't see, and if you pull it up online, you guys, is that the, the daughter is, you know, they see it in the police body camera footage, but the daughter is thanking her dad. Thank you so much, dad. You saved me. You saved my life. You're the best dad ever. And she's, you know, hugging her dad and just telling him how thankful she is. Now, I want to put you in the mind of a father raising a daughter. Okay. If you're, if you're a father raising girls and someone is trying to get after them, I understand the, I understand how they can go to immediately using lethal force. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, this is a father who's saying, I have to protect my daughter. Now, he, did he know that uh, he doesn't know if he's armed or unarmed? He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows they're trying to break into the house. And at that point, he made the decision that this is the way that I would like to protect my family. Uh, I'm going to go here in the comments. Leon says he shouldn't have been breaking into the house, but was but was he really a threat? Would he have killed the family in the house? It doesn't seem like this guy was threatening their lives. See, and that's the thing, right? We don't really know. We we don't. And that's where the stand, stand your ground law is a little bit ambiguous and really calls to uh, for us to kind of make the determination of what the threat is um, and when lethal force should be used. I guess at the end of the day, I mean, he's he broke into the house like he actually broke through the door and got through with one shoulder. And then the father, you know, fired off those three shots again. It is graphic. It is disturbing. Um, I think in this situation, both families are actually at a loss. You know, even though this is her ex-boyfriend, you know, your dad killed someone. He has to live with that. And then the family of the victim slash suspect in this case, you know, they have to bury a 22 year old kid who, you know, love will make you do some crazy things now, y'all. Love will make you do some crazy things. And it seemed like he was, you know, he wasn't talking, he wasn't saying anything, but why would he make that choice to try to break into the house with her you know, with both her parents there. And it's it's a bizarre situation, but you can tell he's kind of having an out-of-body um, experience. Um, Arlo says, uh, as a father of a daughter, I understand the urge to escalate quickly. That said, my baseline is not violent responses. I think guns in the house is asking for trouble. Then again, so is breaking in any breaking and entering. Howdy y'all, howdy y'all though. 
wonderful point. And I'm so glad you joined the conversation tonight because that, I mean, we, we have to have a conversation about people's baseline, right? I think that also is the crux of this conversation. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. What is our natural response? What if we did not have firearms to protect ourselves with, right? What would um, the father then have uh, using or decided to use lethal force? How would he have protected his family in that sense? Now, again, as a person who respects the law, right? Because I am, I am definitely an advocate for the law um, and for people who, who, who follow the law as it's written. I hate when people uh, skew the law and, and manipulate it uh, to, to make injustice decisions. But in this case, I have to look at it. If I were a grand juror and I'm sitting on that panel, I'm going to, I'm going to side with uh, the prosecutors and, 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 and make the decision that he should not be charged. And so subsequently that is what happened in this, um, in this situation, he was not charged. Um, and you know, uh, the Shelby, Shelby County grand jury was presented with the voicemail uh, the 911 call and the doorbell camera footage. And ultimately, they made this decision, um, you know, citing Ohio's standard ground law, um, establishing, again, you guys, homeowners can use lethal force when they feel threatened. So this is, this is that kind of case. Look, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, you guys, I want to talk about how the White House finally clapped back at some of the GOP lawmakers. Stay tuned. Or maybe not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll stay here, Cuddy. You just let me know if we can take a break. Um, but we'll move forward, you guys. We will move forward. So I want to talk about the White House, you guys. I love the fact that they clapped back. I love the fact that they clap back in this situation. We have a short clip that I'll play in a moment. But listen, the White House is taking no more criticism. They are not laying down on their back anymore. Um, and they're standing and doubling down on their decision to um, offer this student loan forgiveness. OK, and this is going to be a big legacy building thing for President Biden. So I love this. Uh, so somebody was getting crazy in the back and said, listen, we are not going to allow Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, Matt Gates or any of you GOP lawmakers who have gotten these PPP loans give us hell about canceling student loan debt. Let's play that video, Cuddy, and then we'll come back and talk about it. The White House caused a stir on Twitter Thursday after a series of tweets called out several Republican lawmakers over their criticism of President Biden's student loan forgiveness. The tweets pointed out that some of the critics' businesses had more than one million federal loans forgiven as part of the pandemic-era Paycheck Protection Program, otherwise known as PPP loans. Among the called-out representatives were Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mike Kelly, Matt Gates, and Mark Wayne Mullen, who collectively had millions of dollars of debt forgiven. Y'all, Mark Wayne Mullins had millions of dollars of debt forgiven. Now, 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 I can hear people in the comments right now who don't agree and say, PPP is not the same as student loan. Well, why isn't it? Okay, because let's think about this. 
When you applied for college and you signed your name on the dotted line to agree and made this contractual agreement with Sally Mae or whoever you made your student loan um, agreement with, you were 18 years old. Okay. That was the first time you signed your name on the dotted line and you were 17 when you had your mom or your aunt, in my case, co-sign for that loan. And so you don't know anything about it. You just know that if you don't go to college, that you are never going to get a high paying job, that you're not going to be successful. And it's not like uh, the cost of, you know, college and universities around the country are matching. I don't know. A minimum wage or matching, you know, the guidelines of inflation. No, 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 honey. They're saying we're going to put two on the 10. You're going to pay 20, 30, $40,000 per semester. Don't let it be an out of state student, baby. You are going to pay this amount and whatever, uh, you know, uh, FAFSA doesn't cover, whatever scholarships doesn't cover, you're going to have to sign on to these loans. And at some point when you graduate, you're going to have to pay those back. And we don't care how much you make when you get out. And we don't care if it's a 10% interest rate. We don't care if it's a 5% interest rate. We don't care if it's a variable interest rate, which is what I had at one point because my private student loans um, which were co-signed by different family members, had a variable um, interest rate that I had no idea what that was at the time um, that inflated all the way to 12%. You guys, there was one point where I was paying up to $500 a month in student loans, 500. There are teachers and nurses and and just your average middle class, you know, just below that middle class American that is working paycheck to paycheck, building, you know, building, um, you know, uh, with their families who have, you know, three, four, five thousands of dollars worth of student loan debt in their household. We're talking about a max cap of $20,000 to support teachers who make little to nothing to cancel out some of that student loan debt 20k okay a teacher doesn't make a teacher doesn't make a hundred thousand dollars a year and even if they did twenty thousand dollars towards the debt that they have for their education okay they are infusing more capital i would argue they're infusing more capital into the lives of Americans and giving back so much more than they receive that twenty thousand dollars is a is a is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. And then you look at somebody like Matt Gates, who got a PPP for close to five hundred thousand on the crux of eighty percent of it needed to be used to pay for salaries. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know how the PPP bailed out anybody. In fact, they're talking about it really only helped 25% of Americans get back to work. So the math ain't math, you guys. And I love the fact that the Biden administration is finally saying, you know what? Uh-uh. This is a great program. We're doubling down on that. 
We gave millions of Americans billions of dollars for this PPP that a lot of people are about to get caught up on, y'all. And why not take care of our teachers? Why not take care of our frontline workers? Why not take care of our farmers and 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 our you know and in our you know just everybody, you guys? Me, a communications director. Okay, I don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year, so. When we're talking about these bailouts, even a $20,000 hit for me, and you guys, I told you guys, I have 80,000 in full transparency, I have $80,000 in student loan debt that I pay on every month, 80K. $20,000 is only gonna bring it down to 60K, okay? That's still an, an insatiable amount of money that I don't know how I'm gonna pay that back, right? You're thinking people have, um, a mortgage, right? They have a mortgage payment. They have a car payment. You know, I, you know, I'm almost 35 years old. I got a 15 year old in the house In three years, she's going to be going off to college. And I still got $80,000 in student loan debt. Okay. Her dad still has $80,000 in student loan debt. How do we then take care and take advantage of making sure that our kids in the next generation below us can even stay encouraged to go to college. And so I love this clapback. Um, I'm gonna pull up in the comments real quick before we go to break. I wanna see what y'all talking about. Um, let me scroll up, let me scroll up. John Jupiter, they need to address the misinformation head on. Boom, okay. Uh, they, I agree. Okay, and they're and I love that and using Twitter as a mechanism to call them to the carpet, a man, good platform. Um, uh, Leon says at the time they would have told you that interest rates will go down. Of course they did, and they are student loan sharks. I mean, listen, y'all know y'all have student loan debt. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm preaching to the choir. Arlo says, we are talking about freeing millions of Americans from making these payments so that they can patronize their local economies. Most those PPPs forgiveness got reinvested. Um, I hope I was, I hope I interpreted that. I hope I interpret this the right way, Arlo. But I think what you're saying is, is that we're going to free up millions of Americans from making these payments so that they can patronize their local economies, which is going to ultimately help us overall. But it's not a lot of money, you guys. I mean, we saw much more debt being canceled um, and lower interest rates of that because the PPP was only a 1% interest rate. For the folks that paid it back. And guess what? These GOP lawmakers, they are not paying it back. Okay? Period. They're not paying it back. 1.4 million. No, thank you. Let's go ahead and forgive that debt. So we need to just keep it, keep it a buck, you guys. We gotta keep it a buck. If we're gonna stand on people not having to pay back PPPs, then we need to reinforce this student loan pro forgiveness program. Shout out to the Biden administration on this one. I really, really love what you're doing here. Of course, I would argue that it ain't enough. Okay, I'm just gonna say that. I'm gonna put it on the table, but I appreciate the clapback, all right? Well, look, you guys, we are 30 minutes into our show. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, baby, ciao. Y'all are not gonna believe this. But did you guys hear that a pilot threatened to end the flight due to 
nudes being airdropped? Mm, I got the tea for you. Stay tuned. Basically, fam, believe in giving. Like, we have to be willing to give more. And people seem to always think giving means money. But nah, bro. It's like you can give time. You can give understanding. You can give access. You can give a listening ear and an open heart. You can give and share your God-given gifts and talents. But you just got to give. All right, y'all, welcome back to Clap Back Culture. I'm your girl, Jules Jesse. Of course, Clash, you're here with me on this Thursday. Now, listen, listen, Linda, listen, listen, listen. What in the Southwest is going on, okay? Because this would happen on the Southwest flight, no tea, no shade, because Delta could never, okay? Delta Airlines would never. But a pilot was threatening to land the plane, honey. Um, he got on the intercom. And I'm going to play the clip for y'all. But he got on the intercom um, and, and threatened to cancel their takeoff after someone on the plane sent a naked photograph to other passengers, including the pilot, honey. They didn't say what the naked photo was. And I couldn't find it online. I wish I could have. Um, just because I want to know, like, did someone send their own nudes out? Or was it like a, like a porno picture or something? I don't know. We got a video. Listen to the pilot. We'll come back and we'll laugh about it. You know what? So we've talked a lot about flight cancellations and delays, but this is a new one. A Southwest Air, a Southwest flight bound <laughs> for Cabo almost didn't make it the off the story. ground because someone kept airdropping nude photos picked up by the pilot's phone. Take a listen. So here's the deal. This continues while we're on the ground. I'm going to have to pull back to the gate. Everybody's going to have to get off. We're going to have to get security involved. Oh. And it's vacation that's going to be ruined. So you folks, whatever that airdrop thing is, put us in the naked picture. Let's get yourself to the Cabo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, spoken like a, uh, like a big uncle. Listen, I will, <laughs> we won't be, well, we won't be going anywhere, okay? So put your seatbelts on and turn your airdrop off, y'all. Y'all playing. What a hot mess. What a hot mess. Somebody was clearly already drunk on the flight playing games, but this flight was on its way to Cabo. Okay, I actually flew Southwest um, from D.C. to Cabo. Really good flight. Uh, shout out to Southwest. I still like Southwest, you guys. I'm going to still fly Southwest. But this is messy. This is very messy. Um, <laughs> listen, this was through AirDrop, Apple's AirDrop feature. Um, and you're able to send digital files to someone. So you don't know who sent it. So it's not like it's attached to a phone number. So if you guys don't know what AirDrop is, it's a digital like wire transfer of photos or um, you can send like just like other content, like notes, something like that. You can just send it to people's airdrop. So anybody else on the flight who has an iPhone, which is a lot of people, boom, it's going everywhere. Trying to do the best promo ever. Best promo, not only for the person sending this, but if I'm Apple, I'm definitely using this in some kind of campaign or some type of tweet and playing this up on how this is just funny. Um, I love the fact this is also a flight from Houston to Cabo because a lot of people are already in vacation mode. So this is just someone playing around. Um, maybe this was a dare, a bachelorette party, um, a bachelorette party on their way to Cabo to have a good time. So 
I don't know, hopefully this did not get in the hands of anyone um, under the age of 18, baby. Uh, but I think it's funny and I hope they all made it to Cabo safely. Oh, you guys, I had to bring this story to you guys because I couldn't believe it myself. Y'all know Stacey Dash, right? Stacey Dash is an actress um, that played on Clueless. She was one of the lead protagonists in Clueless. Um, she is also your former Fox News correspondent who was your conservative black girl uh, who was loving Donald Trump, okay? Loving Donald Trump, standing with the GOP, standing with the conservatives to say, listen, she even came and clapped back at BET and told them they was lying to the people and, and causing segregation. Well, listen, your good sis was on TikTok apparently, and she just found out that DMX is dead and made this whole video about it. Child, it's, it's a mess. It's long-winded. We got a clip. Play the, let's play the clip, Cuddy. It seems like actress Stacey Dash was living under a rock for a year. She just found out DMX passed away and had this reaction. I'm ashamed. I... Getting visibly emotional, she revealed she did not know about his death. I didn't know DMX died. I didn't know. Stacey also opened up about her own sobriety, revealing she was six years clean. I am today six years and one month clean. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. That he lost to it. He lost. He lost that demon of addiction. Stacy girl, how are you ever gonna come back to the black culture? And you don't know DMX passed away. Sis, you're a year late and a dollar short. I, I don't know. I don't know how you missed this. Okay? I don't know how you missed this, sis. I don't know how you missed this. Um, she started, she kicked off her video saying she was ashamed. Girl, you better be ashamed. Okay? Because your black card is revoked. I mean, it's already been revoked. Okay? Um, y'all know, like this Stacy, Stacy, Stacy. I don't. I just don't know if this is a, a, is a cry for attention. For, I hate when people cry on video and then post it. It's one thing maybe you want to cry on video and see what you look like out of curiosity, but why do people cry on camera and then post it? Like she could have had a like a moment to herself. I don't know what reaction she thought she was going to get from this, but. Of course, Black Twitter is like, girl, we don't we don't have time for this right now, Stacey. We really don't. Like, you're you're so late. We don't have time for this. We've already grieved. We've been grieving. We are in the in a season of healing right now. And not to mention that Stacey, you just left such a bad and nasty taste in our mouth. In 2015, you guys, if you remember, this is when she really got on that Donald Trump train just so hard. She claimed that then President Barack Obama, you guys, didn't give a give a sh you know what about terrorism. She was all over the bandwagon with that, you know, you know the whole Muslim situation. She called for the elimination of Black History Month. 
Um, she called out uh, BET and the NAAC and the NAACP Image Awards um, and said that they shouldn't have those awards and that they are lying to black people. She made a lot of transphobic comments during an Entertainment Tonight interview. Uh, she defended former President Donald Trump's very fine people uh, remarks in response to the deadly Charlottesville rally. OK, if you guys remember that. And then after Donald Trump became president, if you guys remember, she got a little spot on Fox News and she talked about how she's, you know, she wrote a book called uh, Clueless to Conservative, honey. And she made her little dollars off that. She made her little coin. She had absolutely no idea what she was talking about politically, but she was just this like angry conservative black woman and it was trashy. After Donald Trump was no longer president, you guys, oh, the insurrection just made me change my mind, blah, blah, blah. No, baby. That didn't change your mind. Donald Trump's no longer president and you can no longer make a coin off being this cute black conservative because you really don't know what you're talking about. That's number one. Like, you're not even giving like true conservative vibes, right? Like, you don't know politics. And you're just taking space on this couch at Fox News so you can be their token black girl. So then you decide, you know what? I've lived a, a life of just being angry. I've made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, I was on Fox News when I was on there. I was this angry, conservative black woman. And at that time in my life, I just didn't know who I was. You didn't know who you was or you got blackballed. So you got blackballed. And then you decided that you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, take a side anymore. You want to come back. It's, it's given too much, Stacey. We, we can't accept this. We can't accept, we can't accept your apology. We can't accept your mistakes. I mean, I love to see when people um, genuinely say, you know what? I made a lot of mistakes. That was something that I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have said those comments. I maybe shouldn't have had an allegiance to some of these things. Love that. But when it's not genuine, what it sounds like is, Stacey, is that you got blackballed and it started affecting your pocketbook and you couldn't get no jobs anywhere else, okay? BET actually said, oh, well, baby girl, can we get our check back? Because since you were on the game. So while you're saying that that franchise caused segregation, you were still getting a coin over there. So long story short, you're trying to jump back into the mix and it just gives, how do you not know DMX passed? <sighs> Listen, I can't, I just can't give it any more life, you guys. Please don't record yourself crying anymore and posting it on social media. Let's just like, let's not take that into 2023. Okay, let's not take that with this. Um, Stacey, mm-mm, mm-mm, that's what it's given, mm-mm, no, no thanks. <laughs> so then there's that, you guys. Um, look, I got some good news for you. You know we are in the do it for the culture section, baby, and we got to give kudos where kudos is due. So Bank of America, you guys, they came out with a new program. They are launching a new program for a zero down mortgage program for black and Hispanic first time home buyers. Okay, this is the first of its kind um, and it's offering this in a group of select cities for zero down payment, zero closing costs on mortgages. What? 
don't say it so. So look, if you're looking to uh, buy a home, okay, and you live in one of these uh, these cities that they've identified, that this program, I mean, this is great. They're calling the program the Community Affordable Loan Solution. And it'll be available, like I said, to predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhoods, okay? The eligibility is based on income, not credit, and home location. So no minimum credit score is required, which here in DC, it's I think it's a 628 um, minimum credit score. So no minimum credit score or mortgage insurance is required, even though they should absolutely get mortgage insurance, okay? Get mortgage insurance. Um, the initiative is to help grow black home ownership, black and Hispanic Latino home ownership program. But listen, you guys, it's not just open to them. Like you don't have to be black. You don't have to be Hispanic in order to be eligible for this program. So still jump out there and get it. I love this. They're advertising it this way, but it's also open to other people. And this is just a trial run. It's like a pilot program. You guys, they're trying to see how this will be. So the caveat is, is that the loans are subject to rigorous underwriting and are based on credit guidelines, including things like on-time bill payments of your rent, um, of bill payments to your utilities, your phone, your car insurance, things of that nature. Um, and eligibility is based on income and home location. So even though you don't have to have um, the credit score, which is definitely a barrier, and you don't have to you know, have that mortgage insurance, this is a program that can help open the doors to home ownership for black and brown people. So we definitely love the shout out to Bank of America giving back to the community, you guys. They, Bank of America, y'all do owe up though. Um, AJ Barkley, the head of neighborhood and community lending for Bank of America said this in a press release. Um, AJ says, home ownership strengthens our communities and can help individuals and families to build wealth over time. He added that uh, the community affordable loan solution will help make that dream of sustained home ownership attainable for more black and Hispanic families and is part of our broader commitment to the communities that we serve. All right, Bank of America, we, we love to see it. We love to love to love to see it. So if you're in Charlotte, Dallas, Detroit, LA and Miami, those will be the first in this rollout pilot you guys will have an opportunity to take advantage of this program. So, and listen, it's expensive as hell to live in Charlotte, Dallas, Detroit. Well, not Detroit. It's not really expensive to live in Detroit, um, but definitely LA and Miami. So I love this. I hope more people take advantage of this. I understand interest rates are sky high right now. Um, and a lot of people feel like they can't embark into home ownership because they just don't know the steps. Tap into your local um, home buying assistance programs. Here in Washington, D.C., we have something called HPAP, which is um, a home buying, a home purchase assistance program. I went through that program, you guys. It saved me thousands, okay? They help you with uh, gap financing and they help you with closing costs. They, they, they allow you to go into, it's actually mandatory, to be a part of these classes so you can understand home ownership. So if you're living in one of these big cities, including Seattle, you know, there's dozens of, of programs and, and you know, community-based um, organizations that will help you figure it out. They lay it all out, okay? It took me three years to buy a house, probably longer, speaking into existence, right? I was speaking it for like five years 
And then the actual plan of like saving money and getting my credit together, three years worth everything. Okay. Worth everything. So if you're not a homeowner right now and you feel like you don't think you're going to be able to do it, you can't financially afford it. Programs like this do exist, even though this doesn't hit most of our demographic, right? There is a program that can help you with buying assistance. Okay. So tap in, look into those and become a homeowner, man. Tap in. You guys lock in. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Let's do another break, you guys. We're going to do another break. And when we come back, I want to clap back at a woman. I want to clap back for a woman in Louisiana um, that was denied an abortion for a baby that was going to die anyway. Um, so stay tuned and we'll come back. We'll talk about it. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Faisa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. As I mentioned before break, uh, a pregnant Louisiana woman uh, says she will be traveling out of state uh, to get an abortion after doctors told her uh, that they would not be able to complete the abortion of the fetus for her in the state of Louisiana, even though the fetus had a fatal abnormal uh, abnorm abnormality um, because it still has cardiac activity. Um this is a very sad situation. I have a two minute clip. I want to play you guys the full clip uh, because it explains a lot and I want to come back and I want to talk about it. A mother of three is sharing her personal struggle. Nancy Davis was told by doctors that her pregnancy was non-viable. They recommended an abortion, but she says she was told that because of Louisiana's strict law, she couldn't have the procedure in her home state. Here's ABC's Maria Villarreal. Nancy Davis is a mother of three, pregnant with her fourth, and now at the center of a complicated battle over abortion that's playing out around the country. Ten weeks into my pregnancy, I found out that my baby had a rare birth defect called a cranial. They told me that I should terminate the pregnancy. Doctors told her the baby's skull wouldn't develop and could not survive. Davis agreed to have an abortion, but said she was denied the service. Basically, they said I had to carry my baby to bury my baby. Mm. They seemed confused about the law and afraid of what would happen to them if they performed a criminal abortion according to the law. Adding to the confusion, conservative Louisiana legislators putting out a statement after hearing her story saying Davis is within the exception that allows for abortion if the mother is carrying a child that cannot survive outside the womb. So far, 15 states have ceased nearly all abortion services since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. 
the Biden administration with a small victory this week, a federal judge granting a preliminary injunction blocking parts of Idaho's near total ban on abortions. Five other states have bans that have been temporarily blocked in court, but could be implemented in the near future. As for Nancy Davis, she is 14 weeks pregnant and planning to go out of state to get this abortion done. Her attorney, Ben Crump, is telling us that she may be the first in Louisiana to experience this, but she certainly won't be the last. She certainly will not be the last, um, but this is a, a situation um, that is common and that a woman who doesn't fit the description of a lot of conservative lawmakers, um, particularly those on the Supreme Court, okay, that overturned Roe. What happens to a mother? She's a mother of three. She's carrying her fourth child. And six weeks into her pregnancy, she finds out that the pregnancy is not viable. And not only is it not viable, but that she finds out that the baby has um, an abnormality where the, the skull is not going to develop. And she has to carry that baby for an additional six weeks. Actually, a little bit longer because there, it, so she must have been 10 weeks. So she carried, she must have been 10 weeks when she found out. And she carried the baby an additional six weeks before she could get the funds and everything together to go out of town to get the abortion care that she needed to terminate the fetus. This is, imagine how that feels for over a month that you're carrying a child and she's pretty small. She's probably showing, right? And people are, you know, asking her about her pregnancy. The child has, you know, a heartbeat. You're mourning your child. The thought around this is that you would want to traumatize this mother to carry this child that will ultimately die upon birth. Doctors reported that even if she carried this baby full term, that it would only live for maybe minutes. And so you're thinking about how strong of um, a mother really is, right? That she is like the life support holding on to the child within her womb. It's so much trauma that she has to go through um, for these additional weeks, her, her husband, her children, um, her family, and, and for her to come out in, in, into the public and speak on this, you know, she's doing this and she's so courageous doing this um, and really being a strong advocate for a lot of women who may face this, right? A lot of women, you know, have difficulties in pregnancy and with the advancement in technology right now, you can know so much about your unborn child, right? They know if the brain is developing, they know if the spine is developing, they know if there's 10 fingers and 10 toes. I mean, they can see it all. All of the genetic tests that they run, these scans. Why would anyone want to bring a human into the world that 
the quality of life is not there. And why should we have to uh, make, why should we have someone else who's not gonna take care of this child make that decision for us? And as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a sister, as a friend, I'm hurt for her that she would have to carry that pregnancy for that many weeks, gather funding to go out of town to have this procedure, leave her kids behind, leave her husband behind, or maybe even carry them with her and go through this. And she can't even do so in the comfort of her own state. And so this is one of those situations um, where women are really saying, I'm not doing this because I was reckless. I'm doing this because from the advice of medical providers, this was the decision that we came up with. And this happens more than we talk about, right? When we talk about abortion, we mostly are just having conversations about women recklessly getting pregnant and then recklessly wanting to have an abortion. That's not how it happens. And so the reality is we have to take better care of situations like this. Well, that's my show, y'all. That's my clapback. Um, I hate to end it on that note, but we're ending it on a note of reality, okay? So with that being said, it has been a great show. I'm so glad you guys pulled up and joined me this Thursday evening, okay? Um, listen, Labor Day weekend, enjoy yourself, cut loose, relax, kick back on Monday, you guys. Um, when I'm not here on Cloudback Culture, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. Amari will be back next week joining me, co-hosting this show. So we will have some hot topics for you guys. But until then, hit me up on social media, slide through my DMs. Let me know what you want to talk about next week. Until then, stay safe and peace. Enjoy yourself. <laughs>